Lots of people talk or joke around about video game addiction, but Ryan Van Cleve knows about it firsthand, and it's anything but funny. By falling down the rabbit hole of video game addiction, Ryan lost his job and came very near to losing his family and even his life once suicidal thoughts entered the picture when he realized the magnitude of his problems. He's fought his way back to overcome those problems and has released Unplugged, My Journey into the Dark World of Video Game Addiction, a memoir about his dark struggle with gaming. He joins us today. Ryan Van Cleve, welcome to Flip Switch. Hey, thanks for having me today. So you have a book that just came out about video game addiction and really what it's like to experience it, and that's one thing we kind of had missing in our uh, searches for a video game addiction story is somebody who has actually experienced it. I guess then, the best you can, could you briefly describe what it feels like to have video game addiction? Well, I think video game addiction is a lot like other addictions. It's when your life is out of balance and something is that you're engaging in, a behavior and activity, is becomes all-consuming. And whether it's drinking or whether it's sex addiction or something else or video game addiction, that, that element just pushes everything else out of whack. I mean, one thing that really happened, at least it happened to me, was that I developed a lot of bad habits in relationship to the whole digital world and specifically video games. And that was something that I carried over from, you know, being a high school student and a college student with lots of time on my hands to being an adult. And I just didn't have time to keep that up anymore. And instead of, you know, cutting back on that, I ended up just stealing hours and time and energy from things that should have mattered more, like friends, family, work, and health. Was there a specific type of game that you went down the rabbit hole with? Or was it MMOs? Was it just console gaming? Well, I, I, I grew up with video games. I remember before they were out. I remember before we had home computers. So, I mean, I'm the right generation of kind of watched and witnessed everything as it came out. I tried everything all along the way. So, I, I've certainly played more than my fair share of seasons of Madden or NBA or things like this. But the games that really, I think, got me spending way too much time were the ones like the MMOs, particularly World of Warcraft and EverQuest. Because, you know, if you're playing a sports game or something, you know, you can pause the game, walk away, finish it later, or you can finish a, a nine-inning game or a four-quarter, you know, match, right. and you, you can feel a sense of completion and kind of, you know, come back to it later. But with games like Warcraft and some of these others that just don't ever actually end, there's always something more to do. If you feel any sort of compulsion to kind of, you know, complete something, you kind of end up keep playing and keep playing and keep playing because you can always get better and do more, and there's no natural stopping point. So for me in particular those games proved to really be an issue as opposed to some of the others. Was there a point where you note, like, something that kind of tipped you off that things were becoming a problem? Only at the very end, right before I actually quit, which was about two and a half years ago. And, you know, I had plenty of warning signs that any rational human being would have noticed, but I didn't. And this would be all my friends stopped calling me. Uh, my family stopped talking to me. My wife was, you know, talking about leaving with the kids. And I'd also lost a good university job. But none of those things were actually really sufficient for me to figure things out. It, it took a, a good bit longer than all of those cumulatively for me to kind of come to the realization that, you know, hey, maybe my life isn't working as well as it could. It sounds like other people did notice before you did. Well, my wife did, and she certainly, you know, was unhappy about it. And we regularly argued about, you know, stop playing those stupid games, you know, you shut up, you shut up, and had those kinds of fights that really aren't very helpful, don't go anywhere, but at least identified the problem. With friends and other and work and things like this that weren't working well, they primarily just saw it from the more selfish standpoint of you're not doing the things we'd like you to do. You know, they didn't really identify what it was or point it out or anything. They were just more, you know, you're not being a good friend, so let's just, you know, I don't have much time for you then either or for work. You know, we're not going to reward you or give you a raise or even keep you on at a certain point versus trying to figure out what the issue is. 
what was, I guess, what were the kind of uh, actual problematic things that spring from gaming? Well, I, I think it's, you know, sort of what I was saying before, it's this idea that where you put your energy and your, and your time and your money says a lot about what's important to you. And what ends up happening for a lot of people when they get into video games so deeply, that's where all their time, their energy, and their money goes. And everything else is just going to suffer as a result. Your health oftentimes suffers. You know, you don't have time to eat food. Or you don't have time to cook good food. So you eat the lazy food. You drink the energy drinks to stay up so you game a lot. Or uh, with work, you know, you start to make decisions like, well, that meeting is sort of optional. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll skip that one today or I'll come in 15 minutes late or I'll miss this. You know, you just start making decisions that you would never have made before, but somehow start to make sense when uh, you're trying to figure out how do I balance this thing that is really no good way to balance. And, you know, in retrospect, you realize, goodness gracious, I made a lot of ridiculous decisions that just, it, it, I can't believe that was even me. And I think that's really what it is, too. You almost end up being so caught up into it that you, you, you sort of are a deep person. You're not yourself anymore. It's like a different person who's gaming, and the real you kind of disappears for a while. You don't get that back until you're far enough removed from the gaming experience that, you know, you have perspective to see what you're doing, and you get a sense about, you know, figuring out the things that matter in your life again, and you kind of resurrect yourself. What was the point where you decided that not only was this a problem, but it's time that you needed to do something about it? Well, it's one of the first things I talk about in my book. It was 2007, right around Christmas time. I was living in Washington, D.C. with my family. I had a one-year position, and uh, we went back to see our folks for Christmas in Chicago. So the whole family went up there, and then we were coming back. We took back roads for some reason. It was taking forever because, you know, with kids, it takes forever to drive anywhere. And, you know, I was basically in a, a non-Wi-Fi, non-connected way for almost two days. And I felt like I was a three-pack-a-day smoker who suddenly decided to go cold turkey. And I was, like, nervous. I was, like, having these, you know, video game nick fits. I just, I kept thinking to myself, what would, what, how could I convince my wife and family to let us stop at a hotel for an hour or two so I can hook up the laptop and get some Wi-Fi just so I could check in on my game, check in on my guild, check in on these other things? You know, I, I kept thinking, you know, that's a really unreasonable and ridiculous thing to be thinking. But it didn't stop me from thinking it. So there was kind of this weird disconnect there where I kind of understood for one of the first times that I was having some strange impulses that didn't make sense. But even that wasn't enough for me. It was only a couple of days later, I was on New Year's Eve of 2007, that my wife and I had one of those uh, other fights that we've had hundreds of times before where, you know, she's yelling at me to stop playing the game. I'm telling her that, you know, she doesn't understand. I'm just having fun. I can choose my own, you know, leisure activities, this kind of stuff. And I ended up just walking out in the middle of the night and wandering around through Washington, D.C. in the dark. It started ice storming. It was lousy out. And I just kept walking around because I didn't want to go home and fight anymore because that's all we ever did. And I ended up standing on the Arlington Memorial Bridge looking down into the Potomac and thinking, you know, my life, honestly, is so out of control. And this is such a person that I don't even recognize anymore. You know, I might as well just jump into the Potomac. And then I had this moment where I'm thinking, you know, am I, do I, am I really thinking this? Is this really for real? Or is this, you know, something? And, and that clicked for me pretty good such that a day or so later... I was able to turn off my Warcraft account. I deleted uh, all the video games off of all my computers. I got rid of all the discs, and I just kind of went cold turkey on it. So to a, a gamer who games a lot, that's a big deal, just getting rid of all your games at once, not cutting back or anything. What made you make the decision to go cold turkey rather than just cut back? I think I just know how I do things. I think like a lot of gamers, I kind of go full out on almost anything that I do in life, and that includes gaming. I just throw myself into things. I just don't didn't think at that point I had the control to just game an hour a day or three hours or whatever artificial time I've set. Because in the past, I've set those times. I've said to myself something like, okay, I've got 90 minutes, and then I really have to handle this project or do this. 
And then an hour, uh, an hour past that 90 minutes, I'm still playing, trying to figure out, well, I'll just, you know, take an hour left of sleep. And then, you know, an hour after that, I'm going, you know, I'll get up an hour early. And you just kind of keep pushing things back. So in the past, I've never been very successful with setting some sort of artificial boundaries. Now, some people, if they have amazing willpower, or maybe if they have the life that's structured so firmly that they, you know, can only really literally play for an hour at a time here and there, maybe they can work out a balance a little bit better. But it wasn't something I knew I was going to be able to do. And I guess that was sort of, sort of self-awareness and understanding myself that made me realize this is it. It's kind of all or nothing on this. You know, nobody goes in saying, I want to be a video game addict. And it certainly sounds like you didn't. What do you think it was that put you more at risk than other people? I'm not sure anyone's more at risk than other people. I mean, I guess there's a sense that maybe there are people who have an addictive personality or they have a little OCD in their life or different kinds of things that make certain types of games maybe they're more susceptible to them. But I think there's about eight or nine reasons that video games can be addictive. And um, for myself, most of those reasons uh, worked individually for me, but they also, too, were able to be found in games like World of Warcraft. Like, for instance, here, some of the main reasons that games are addictive are like uh, wanting to have the high score. You know, you used to see this all the time back when they had the stand-up arcade coin-operated games. You know, you'd have the top three or top five. You'd put your three initials, right? And if someone beat yours, you wanted to go back and beat it. You wanted to have the top score. So there's that kind of impulse, and a lot of games offer that. But there's also things like you want to master the game. You want to know every nuance about it, every single spell or every single ability, every single character. You want to be the complete master. There's that kind of impulse. There's the competitive. Me beats you face-to-face, right? I want, I, want, I want to beat you. This is a sports game. It's a lot of first-person shooters. But also, too, there's the idea of exploration. You want to just see all there is to see within the game. And in a game like Warcraft, you can walk for about two hours straight with your character. Just keep going in one direction. There's just more and more to see. And then even more because your character is sort of the hero of the story. So there's that narrative impulse of what's happening next, like a good thriller or a Stephen King book. You're kind of invested in a character, you care about them, you want to find out what's going to happen next, so you want to play a little bit more. And those things all worked on me to a degree, and then cumulatively in a game like Warcraft, it really kept me going, as it keeps a lot of people going, since there's about 12 million accounts you know, worldwide right now. We'll be right back with more of our interview with Ryan Van Cleve. Stay tuned. Sometimes it feels like you're in a box. It's painful. I felt like that the world is against you. My family was like impatient with me because nobody understood why I was feeling the way I did. Just let my emotions be rampant in my mind. Get really depressed and then I get happy for like an hour. Children, just like adults, suffer from mood disorders. Day for Night, Recognizing Teenage Depression is a DVD offering an in-depth look at the signs, symptoms, and treatment of teenage depression. The film features the true stories of teenagers and their struggles with clinical depression and bipolar disorder. I would get really mad, like I'd have a really bad temper. As well as keen insights from mental health professionals. We really view it as a medical illness. There really is a biological basis to this disorder. It is such a treatable condition. Get informed about depression and bipolar disorder in teens. Order Day for Night today. Pick up a copy of Day for Night, Recognizing Teenage Depression, online at www.depressedteens.com. Let's get back into our interview with Ryan Van Cleve. In this half of the interview, we'll talk about game mechanics, what to look for with someone who's got an addiction issue, and the future of overlapping technologies. We talked to a few designers as well. And they're pretty open that they use psychological, almost casino-like tricks. Not that they necessarily are trying to run it like a casino, but they're pretty open, like, look, we're there to get you to keep playing, type thing. Did you feel any of those kind of effects where 
Later on, you notice, hey, this was occurring, but it was actually just, there was nothing to it. It was just trying to keep me playing. Well, sort of. I mean, you know, I guess I have some insight into that kind of thing a little bit more than most people for two reasons. One is that after my university job kind of went away, I was a freelance writer for a while. And one of the the great ironies in my life is the only good paying job I could find was to help create video games for people. So I actually worked in the video game industry for a couple of years and helped design some of those games, primarily some of those things you see on Facebook and social networking, you know, like Farmville, those types of things. But I worked with a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people there. But now I'm working in the university world again. I work at the Ringling College of Art and Design, which is one of the top art schools in the world. But it also has five different degrees that all play into video game design. So we have, like, Blizzard comes in here once a semester, Disney, Pixar, all these animation companies, these computer companies, these game companies. You know, I run into these guys all the time. A lot of our professors were in that world. I talk to them. I get a lot of inside information. And they absolutely know what they're doing in terms of, you know, getting a gamer to keep playing more and more. Because if you stop playing the game, then they've lost their customer. They want to keep you, particularly these subscription games. I assure you that they work with psychologists and people like this to figure out ways to keep you gaming more. In the same way that, you know, casinos pump oxygen into the room and they design it so they're easy to get into but hard to get out of. The games are that way, too. As a matter of fact, there's even a term for this kind of thing that the gamers use, the game designers. It's called stickiness. And what stickiness is, is like uh, when you're out mowing your lawn, how much are you still thinking about going back and playing Warcraft? And the more that you feel that you, you know, you're thinking about it and kind of consumed by it, the more sticky that game is. And I think games like MMOGs in particular are especially sticky because they have all those different kinds of levels too. If you just want to fight someone, you go to arenas and you fight one-on-one. If you like to quest and complete things, there's 6,000 quests for you. If you like to just explore, you can walk for two hours in any direction. You can fly a bird, you can go underwater. So it's got all those different competitive levels and all those different things working all in conjunction. Whereas a game like New Madden Football, you know, it's only got maybe two or three of those things working. And that's not to say that it's less addictive for some people, but there are a lot of people who will look at it and be like, you know, eh, no big deal. So maybe that's why we don't have so many millions being hooked on Madden where we do on some of these other games, I think. One of the things we've talked about with other gamers is a weird thing that's happened over time where it used to be back in the 30s, 40s, it was considered, you know, bad if you were sitting down for more than five minutes to do anything. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you're lazy if you do anything other than constantly work. And now, ironically, the workload has increased in some ways, but gaming, the norm of gaming has increased. So it used to be you sit down for a couple of hours or an hour, and you play, and now with certain games, you're just expected to go crazy every now and then and play for 10, 12 hours kind of stretches or even se- or just seven hours. And that's not considered bad societally necessarily. I think even the Madden franchise a couple of years ago had an advertising campaign where they said, just break it to her gently. And the implication being that every year all the guys get mad and then they start playing for hours and hours and on and then don't spend any time with their wives and girlfriends. Do you see that norming as increasing where they move the goalposts back and it's even more hours it's normal to play? And is that a good or bad thing? Well, is it a good or bad thing? I don't think it's a good thing. I think that we have a pretty dysfunctional, as a society, globally, I'm not talking to the U.S., globally, I think we have a dysfunctional relationship with the digital world in general. And it's largely because it's so new, we haven't figured out how to have a healthy relationship with it yet. So what we're doing is we're oftentimes making mistakes and we're going too far overboard into moments where it starts to affect our regular life in a bad way. I think that this is something that is getting worse, though, and it has to do for a lot of reasons. Some of the best 
and by best, I mean most successful video games out there now are on par with the big blockbuster movies. They cost as much. They have as many man hours into them. And in a lot of ways, I think that the top video games are taking over as the new primary entertainment experience. I mean, if I go plop down $10 to go see the new A-Team movie or something like this, whatever the new one is, uh, you know, I get two hours of fun. Or maybe it's okay. It doesn't really matter. It's two hours, and that's kind of it. It's over, and it's a passive experience. If I go plump 20 bucks down to buy a new MMOG or, or some other sports game or something else, I might get 50 or 100 hours of entertainment value. So on that level, it's a better value. But also, too, the technology is so great with the video game. They're becoming so immersive, you know, with the 3D TV and the different types of technology. We can just do amazing things that just make the experience as rich as some of the best movies. And I think people are moving towards that. It's more interactive. You're part of it. You're part, you know, you're part of the story. So I think that it, it's a natural that we're moving towards that. Denny's and I think there's also a lot of people who online. realize that the money is as video good. Game I mean, we just had a, a video game company recently do that Red Dead Revolver, the new one. Everywhere. They sold 5 million copies of that in just a couple of weeks. And that wasn't even a big ticket, you know, big seller. That was really unexpected. And I think a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon because you can make some of these video games more or less out of your basement. You know, you get a dozen of the right people together, you can do a pretty basic but good game that might catch virally. You can sell a million copies. So the, the payoff is huge. I think there's a lot more games being out there. So they're trying to uh, hook people via their interests. You know, they're doing games now for children. You know, there's a Burger King video game for two-year-olds. And they're doing games for senior citizens that are set back in the 40s, you know, so it matches up with their childhood memories. They're just trying to reach larger markets. So by virtue of that, and I think our growing interest in entertaining ourselves is leisure time that we feel we deserve and that we've earned. I think we are going to keep moving in that direction, though I wish we would, at least without thinking about it a little bit more. With that idea of stickiness and kind of some of the unseen effects that games are having on you at times, one of the things we've heard from both designers and just regular players is that ultimately it's always a personal responsibility of you to not a, get addicted or deal with whatever issues you need to deal with. If there's all this kind of background stuff going on that you're not even aware of, does that argument come apart, or, or is, is does it need to be rethought about or reformed somehow? Well, that's a good question. I mean, ultimately, I'm going to probably make the claim that the responsibility is always on the gamer, or if they're young people, their families, their parents, people like this. But that doesn't excuse the game makers and other people from any type of obligation. I think on some level, we all ought to be socially responsible. You know, we realize that the product that we put out into the world if it's harmful or potentially harmful, I think we should be making people aware of that and trying to do things the best that we can. There's a lot of game makers who have told me that, yeah, I've never even thought about video game addiction. I actually don't even care about it or it's something I would aspire to do because if I did that, if I hooked somebody, that might give my game to success. And that's not the attitude that I like to have. I don't really want government stepping in trying to regulate things, but I would maybe like to see if some of these game makers could do things along the lines of what the tobacco companies are doing so that there's a pretty clear warning label or like when you see the beer ads on TV, they usually have a you know an 800 number or a warning about drinking responsibly and know when to say when. You know they have this some sort of open awareness. It's part of, of what we know, public you know knowledge of, of drinking and things like this or smoking. We understand kind of the good and the bad. And once you know that, you're welcome to make a decision. And people are going to choose you know a bad decision sometimes, and that's fine. That's your personal choice. With games, I don't think most people understand the downside. Like, for instance, if I walked to my corner convenience store right, uh, right now and I said, just talk to someone, you know, whoever's there, you know, I'm a video game addict, their response would probably be laughter or they think I'm joking or something. Whereas if I said, you know, I've got a problem with alcohol, I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, they wouldn't react the same way. We just don't have this awareness 
that video games can be as destructive as these substance abuse issues that we have. And part of what my book is about, part of what I do when I go around and speak to people in groups and conferences is I try to help raise public awareness that for some people, this is about as, you know, as serious as anything could be. In a lot of ways, it's like a gambling addiction. You know, you don't put anything in your body with gambling, but it can ruin your life and it can kill you. It can destroy everything. There's a real strong correlation between the two because a lot of games are based on the same principles of gambling where you have certain rewards, but there's a randomness to it. Okay, well, I really want that sword. Ooh, it didn't drop this time. Well, I'll keep going. It, it owes me that purple sword or this or that. You know, a lot of games have that kind of reinforced playtime because you, there's something that might come or it might not. There's a one in a million chance that I might get it. You know, that's kind of the gambler mentality, right? I've got that one in a million chance of getting the uh, the perfect hand in poker or the slot machine winning that, you know, Ferrari on the jackpot, and it keeps you going. And I think we all understand how serious gambling is, but we haven't quite connected that over with video game addiction yet, probably because, you know, we think on some level it's a game, you know, like Monopoly or something. How could you be addicted to a Monopoly? It's, it's absurd. To some people, but if you stop and think about it or if you hear the stories and the statistics, I think it becomes a lot clearer. What should somebody be on the lookout for? Like, that's not the uh, individual, but parents and family as well, to be concerned about what's gaming. Well, it's a good question because actually the gamer themselves, as you heard from my story, you're oftentimes in so much denial that you can have the most obvious symptoms. I mean, your hair could be turning purple and falling out, and you might not even think anything's wrong. I mean, it could be that drastic. So it is going to be the people around them that should be looking out for them and watching for those things. Some of the things I'd be looking for would be along the lines of the psychological and the emotional, you know, the behavioral issues. Like, for instance, if somebody is kept from playing a game they want to play and they start to act out, you know, irrationally or irate or something that's just, you know, out of the character, that's a pretty good sign that, you know, they're putting a lot of stock into how important those games are that's probably not healthy. I also see people who, why they play the games. They might be the nicest, calmest, gentlest person on earth, regularly, but then they start to play the game and they go into almost like a road rage. You know, they start breaking keyboards or throwing mice or screaming and yelling and get, you know, all upset, red in the face. That's another sign that they're a little bit probably too involved and they might be on the wrong path. But one of the biggest ones I'd be looking for, and this is a huge warning sign, is when someone lies about how much they play. Because you're in so many levels of self-deception then that you are way down the road towards video game addiction if you're not already there. If, if you've been playing all Saturday and your wife comes home and says, have you been on this game all day? And you say, no, I just turned on five minutes ago. And of course, you've been on for 10 hours. So I mean, that's serious stuff. It's hard to catch, but if you ever do catch it, that's, that's a huge warning sign that things are way out of control and something needs to be done pretty quickly. Are you ever able now to ever play games at all? Well, here's the thing. You know, with substance abuse and things like that, you know, the, the best tactic probably is just to avoid it from your life. And let's say I have a problem with alcohol. If I just don't bring home beer and I don't go to bars, that's like 80% of my life that I don't have to worry about it because it's not right in front of me tempting me. It's not really an issue. You can't just avoid it the same way with a video game because, you know, they're on your cell phone, they're on your wristwatches, they're on your home computer, your work computer, they're on your DVD player you have in the car for the kids They come built in. It's kind of everywhere. So, and you know, even if you're just on like Facebook or something, they're sticking the games there now. So it's really, really hard to just avoid it all unless you're going to be some sort of monk and live up in the mountains and have no electricity. And that's not very practical. So you almost have to come to some relationship where you can stand being around them and, you know, have them be a part of your life to some degree. Some people, though, should be saying no and continue to say no to all games all the time if they can. Some people might have stronger will, like we talked about earlier, who they can afford to say, you know what? I really can, I can play for two hours a week. I have this time and this time, and I can stick with it. That's great. 
uh, a lot of us are going to kind of fall in the middle. Myself, to answer your question specifically, do I game? Uh, every once in a while, I might. I mean, if I got friends over and they all want to play Madden football, I can hop on and play a game with some friends in a social setting. But the ways that I play are very different than the ways I played before. I don't play video games in my room alone. I don't have I don't have the capacity. I don't have the consoles in my room alone. So you know, because when you do that, you know, it's really easy to play all night long. You know, and just kind of lose track of time. Another thing I do is there's certain games I just don't play anymore. There's a lot of the MMOGs. They really hooked me more than others. So those are games I won't play. So there's a lot of things that I kind of do differently. But, yeah, I could still play if I wanted to. I mostly just choose not to because I'm really busy. And that's what a lot of people, that's how they get out of an addiction. They have things in their life that matter, that they need to spend time with, that they value. And that's how a lot of people stay, don't get addicted in the first place because they're just really busy. You know, they got a 50-hour-a-week job and they got all these other things. They just don't have time for it. And that's okay, too. You know, if they still want to play an hour or two a week here and there, they might never become addicted. And that's great. You know, video games, they're okay in and of themselves. But it's just, you know, it's our relationship to them. We need to have perspective. We need to think about it. We need to reevaluate it every once in a while because it's so easy to slip past that line of, you know, reasonableness and not realize that once you get a certain point down the road, it's really hard to come back. So what I really like to do is get people thinking in advance and try to help people before they get to that literal or metaphorical bridge, you know, in the moment of crisis. I don't want to see anyone there if I can help it. Ryan Van Cleve, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me today. You can check out Unplugged, My Journey into the Dark World of Video Game Addiction by Ryan Van Cleve at ryanvancleve.com. Thanks for listening to Flip Switch, the Bipolar and Depression Connection, brought to you by the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation.